You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to this episode of Lockdown Cavaliers. As always, I'm your host, Chris Manning, from uh, Fear the Sword and Hardwood Paroxysm. And today I am joined by a longtime, longtime colleague of mine. Uh, he's from Fear the Sword. He's from Upside of Motor, Ridiculous Upside. Um, it's Trevor Magnotti. Trevor, how's it going? Going pretty good. How are you? Uh, doing good. Uh, glad to have you on the show because today we're going to preview training camp um, and because of some of the guys we're going to talk about, uh, I wanted that Trevor on because he cares and just knows more about some of the most random NBA guys that I just don't have takes on. <laughs> I mean, when I emailed him about this, uh, when he asked what the training camp pod was, and he's like, does that mean I could talk about Marco Brown for 20 minutes? I was like, yes, Trevor. That means you can talk about Marco Brown for 20 minutes. So uh, it's good to have Trevor on. It's good to dive into some things with him. Uh, but we're going to start somewhere that I know he's not thrilled about, uh, and that's talking about his favorite player ever, Mo Williams. Uh, Mo Williams, of course, uh, is going to play. The news came out late Wednesday night that he is going to return next year. He tweeted about it, uh, confirmed by Chris Haynes, uh, that he's going to play next year and then retire. Uh, it'll be his 14th NBA season, or 50, uh, he'll be 34 during the season, and uh, he enters camp probably as the favorite to be the Cavs' backup point guard, but... Uh, what, what I think is really the only training camp battle the Cavs have is the Mo Williams K Felder uh, potential battle here. Uh, K Felder, if he has a really good camp in preseason, could get the job, but I think Williams would be the favorite. Uh, Trevor, I mean, I know you're not a big Mo Williams guy at this point. I think you have a very fair uh, take on him because of what he is, but uh, do you think there should be a competition between those two guys before we get into who maybe should have the advantage uh, on paper? Yeah, I absolutely believe there should be a competition for the backup point guard spot. Um, just because realistically, Mo Williams probably isn't going to be healthy for the entire season. He played just 41 games last year. Um, we know he's got an ongoing issue with his shooting thumb that bothered him all last year. We know he's got an issue with at least one knee um, that has or sidelined him and kind of created this whole, is he going to play? Is he not going to play um, thing that's been going on the past month or so? Um, it's been, it's been a worry about that knee that's kind of been gimpy on him um, for about the last year. Um, and, you know, if, if he's, if he's there, he's realistically probably the most talented backup point guard that the Cavs have. Um, but they would do themselves a disservice to not explore their other options. They should look at Felder hard because he's a guy that kind of, you know, is in a, is in a little a bit of a unique situation here as a second-round pick who could actually make the roster right away and be ready to play right away. They should give a hard look to Jordan McRae. Is he deserving of real minutes this year? Um, Because he's a guy that can play the point guard position as well. And they should look at, uh, look at potentially giving a lot or giving some more time to 
you know, a, a little bit of a point guardless lineup, so to speak, um, and try try to throw Iman Shumpert, J.R. Smith, and LeBron out there with two bigs. Try to run a, a lineup without a point guard and see how that goes early in the season. They should explore all of these options just because the, the reliability of – Mo Williams in the backup point guard spot is not high, even if he is ready to play. Um, I highly doubt he's going to be a guy who's going to be able to do what Richard Jefferson did last year and give you 75-plus games at a consistent level, um, even even at that age. I think think that you kind of have to have plan B, plan C, plan D ready, even if he is around. and I think I think they that that's kind of how they'll approach this is they're gonna get, they're gonna give all of these guys chances and they're gonna experiment with all these different looks um, because the big elephant in the room here as well is yeah it's fine if Mo Williams is your only problem but what if Kyrie gets hurt again yeah I think the Kyrie thing definitely uh, hangs over this more than I think we have talked about to date because Kyrie as much as his injuries are not chronic injuries, they are injuries that have piled up and he's had a lot of them. And we've all seen the graphic where it's like every part of his body has suffered an injury. Uh, they've been freak injuries, but injuries are injuries. Um, and Trevor, before before I kind of give you my response to this, Mo Williams' knee injury is basically just like he has old man knees, right? It's just like it's wear and tear and there's nothing he can really do about it uh, besides rest it. So, and I, I think that whether, or regardless of what the actual injury is it's definitely it's definitely like a like an end stage for a basketball player kind of maintenance issue like he's just gotta do a lot of stuff do a lot of constant rehab um do a lot of treatments every day basically just to get him to the point where he can actually step on the floor and be able to contribute in any fashion um so this is gonna this is gonna be a lot like I think Sean Marion um, two years ago where he was you know he was able to get out there he was able to do some stuff but th- there's a lot that had to happen for that to even take place um, and you know the risk of the risk of him kind of having setbacks and needing to miss time was high. Yeah, uh, I believe Mo Williams's actual injury uh, was chronomalacia, which I'm totally mispronouncing. Uh, Andro Malaysia. There you go. This is why I have Trevor on the show. He know he's smart and he knows how to yeah. say things. Um, and that's inflammation of cartilage yeah. under the Andro, kneecap. Andro Mo- and, yep. Yeah. So that's that's a definite like thirty thirty five and up um, kind of wear and tear, kind of kind of breakdown of cartilage underneath the kneecap. Um, so yeah, definitely not something that's going to be getting um, going to be getting better anytime soon. Yeah, and I will say if he does uh, is able to play night and night out, which I doubt at this point, his best skill really as a player now is his ability as a shooter. Um, I still think he can hit threes, he can pop, pick and pop on threes, and play off ball for threes and do that stuff. But he's a terrible defender. Um, he's slow. He's not very efficient on offense anymore when he's creating for himself. And I'm not 100% sold on Felder because a I don't watch a ton of college basketball, so I don't have a good read on him besides summer league. But b rookies struggle. Every single NBA rookie, whether it's LeBron James, who you know did have struggling moments, to your second-round pick like K. Felder, is just going to have moments where they are overwhelmed by what they're doing. Uh, they are going to struggle in defense. He, and he also really has to figure out how to shoot off the ball because he's not really there yet. And again, he's five foot nine. Uh, five foot nine as an NBA point guard is tiny. 
Um, and I know there's the people that think he can be an Isaiah Thomas type player. He could get there, but I wouldn't expect it to be in the first three months of his regular season. What I like what you're saying is, is you have to look at other guys like Felder, like McCray, who I'm also not really super in love with. Um, and, and Amon Shumpert, who I think could be a really, really good nominal point guard on bench units. I think the way to play this is you see what you can get out of Mo Williams uh, as much as you can as long as he is healthy. In that time, you give you also give minutes to McCray, to Felder, to Shump at that spot and let them sort of grow into the role. Um, I would probably tell Felder to go play in Canton and maybe McCray too just so they play regularly and because they're still going to practice with the team anyway. And you play the long game in hopes of that when April comes, that when March comes, that they can pl- one of those guys at least will have established themselves as being able to play ten or so minutes a game as a as a backup point guard when Kyrie's going to be up to thirty six minutes a night anyway. Yeah, that that um, that I think is what is where you're where you're hoping things end up. You're kind of you're kind of hoping that you can try this stuff out in a lot of garbage time as well. Um, that you you know you're getting you're getting Felder minutes with the Cavs and in Canton that you're getting McCray some you know regular rotation minutes but also spending a majority of his time at the point guard spot in garbage time um and you just kind of have contingency plans um because it se- it seems like it's not really not really a, a secret that the Cavs sh- if if they're going to do what they did last year with Channing Fry, which you'd expect with Anderson Barajas' trade exception sitting right there, um, you'd expect that they're going to try to go out and find a long-term answer for this at the trade deadline. Um, but for now, you kinda, you've got basically five months until that happens where that's got to, or where you've got to try some different stuff. You've got to try to go through um, go through the first part of the regular season with these options. And, you know, if you find something that sticks, that's, that's great. And that really helps, but, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be foolish not to try all these, uh, all these guys out. Yeah. I think, uh, your take that it, they're going to look to trade is interesting just because I think if I were them, I would maybe look for a wing more than I'm looking for a point guard. Um, and the other thing is the trade exceptions are useful, but you have to be able to package something with one of them to really get something of consequence. Uh, and I don't know what you would—I ha- don't know what you have on this roster that you can part with that gets you that guy. Uh, they don't have picks. Maybe Felder if you had the right team, um, but you don't have a Verjao's salary to dump. Um, so I don't know. But I think that's possible. I think it's totally a scenario there. Um, but, and, and I also think it's still possible that they could sign someone in a couple of months. Um, Joe Varden of Cleveland.com noted in his piece today about uh, Williams, who was not at LeBron's training camp, that before Williams decided to come back, or as he was talking about it, they did look at Norris Cole. A guy like him or Mario Chalmers could still be an option. But I think Williams coming back sort of in my head, at least for the next three, four months, uh, makes this really largely between Mo Williams versus guys that are younger uh, and who's going to get those minutes? And I, to me, this is the training camp storyline. Besides Jr., who we're going to talk about it in a second, uh, not signing that I think is the most worth paying attention to. Yeah, I I agree. Um, because because you know it's gonna. This is a team with pretty clearly defined roles up and down the roster. Um, 
and they don't have a they don't have a ton of you know young talent that needs to prove prove themselves. It's basically like, you know, once Jr. signs, it's oh, does Dunleavy or Richard Jefferson get the primary backup small forwards minutes? Does um you know do, do Kyrie and Kevin Love um look look ready to go for the beginning of the season? Um. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be stuff like that. It's not so much gonna be you know position battles like a lot of other teams are, are gonna have um, potentially in uh, looking for like starting lineup spots. It's mostly gonna be that one rotation pecking order between Dunleavy and Jefferson, and then whatever's gonna end up happening behind Kyrie at point guard. Yeah, and I think I think that's totally a, a very very reasonable take. And to talk about Jr. Uh, I, he still isn't signed, obviously, as the time we're recording this. I, I don't really get to read on it that it's going to happen right away. Um, and I expect it to happen before the season starts at this point, but it, it might get close. It could go into this season. It just doesn't. It just seems like there's some gap there because there's been some really so few details uh, really reported on this. Uh, but I guess, Trevor, the question I have for you, because we've talked enough about what he's worth and all that stuff, do you think it's, it matters at all that he hasn't signed yet? And do you think it's a problem that he hasn't re-signed with the Cavs yet as training camp really is about to kick off? Um, I think I think it's a small problem. Um, just And I know that we had Tristan Thompson do this last year. Um, so we've already, we've already seen, you know, a, a player come in um, and do, you know, reasonably well with kind of playing himself into shape over the course of training camp. Uh, there's a big difference between J.R. Smith and uh, Tristan Thompson. And that's the fact that J.R. Smith is not under 25, um, and it's easier it's easier to be able to do that when you have pretty fresh legs. I I'm not I'm not sure what kind of training J.R. has been doing over the summer. Um, I mean, every everybody likes to joke that he's his training has pretty much you know just been in the clubs around New York, Miami, et cetera. But, you know, it's, it's a real question. Like what kind of, what kind of stuff has he been doing to prepare himself um, and keep himself in shape? Um, that's, that's my big question um, is really like, I don't know that he's in a spot anymore where he can come in even midway through training camp and be ready to be effective for the first 15 games of the season. I think that the big th- the big question is not whether he'll sign by the beginning of the season, but whether he'll be honestly playable um, for the first 10 or 15 games. Just because I expect there to be a little bit of a a little bit of a curb curve in terms of conditioning um, that he's going to have to go through to be able to get to the point where he can play the amount of minutes that the Cavs are going to want him to. Yeah, that that's totally reasonable. Um, he's been playing a lot of golf, so you know he he's been uh, on the golf course. He's been smoking black and mild, which I, th- I find hilarious from the complex profile of him. Um, and and he's been working out with LeBron. I mean, pretty much half the time he's with the Clutch Sports guys. I know he's not at the training camp, but um, I would be shocked if LeBron wasn't at least somewhat in his ear uh, and kind of monitoring it a little bit. And that makes me a little bit less worried. Uh, but yeah, J. I mean, it's Jr. And if he comes in, I think the earlier they get him in, the better. I just think you just there's not really a benefit uh, that does that in terms of basketball of of waiting that long to get him on the team and just not having him there from day one. Because really, you also have to remember 
Uh, this is Tyron Lue's first training camp, and I know he's been around the, with the team a lot, and he's been there for the last two years and all this stuff, but it's his first time to really implement his own vision and his own stuff, and having JR there from day one would be ideal. And just getting the title defense off on the right foot from day one would be ideal. But if I'm JR, I also understand, you know what, you got to get paid, and he has to try to make that work as much as he can. Um, and I, I, I think it's something we'll probably hear about at media day and it's something we'll probably hear about more so than anything else, just because it's everyone, including us, if you're the sword, when we ranked him in Cavs rank, basically just assume he's going to be in wine and cold next year. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the nice thing about all of this is like, it's not like the, it's not like the Cavs have to negotiate against anybody like they're just negotiating against jr basically um no other team is really going to try to reach out and do anything to try to sign him um so i I think that's i think that's a major benefit um for them and that's kind of why it has gone on this long but you know as we as we get closer to training camp it's gonna it's probably gonna come out you know i would expect by like october 1st um kind of like kind of like the tristan deal did where it was just kind of like they're apart they're apart they're apart oh hey they finally figured out um how to get together and there was no like real lead up to that it was very sudden that it was oh Tristan's finally signed for basically the number that's right in between what they had been arguing about. Um, so I think I think that's uh, that's kind of how this will happen again. I think I think it'll just kind of be out of the blue within the next couple weeks, um, and it'll be for a pretty reasonable um, dollar figure. Yeah, and remember, basically, no matter what JR signs for, uh, the Cavs tax bill is not going to be as high next year as it was this year. So. Uh, he's not. He, it's going to impact them as as people have noted, but it's not going to be as breaking as it would have been a year ago. Um, if I'm Jr., I'm arguing that in my meetings. But uh, that that's it for the guys that you know we consider the main portion of the roster. Uh, there's also four guys that Cavs have on training camp deals that are going to be there working out, um, and that's Eric Moreland, who's a forward who played for the Kings, uh, Corey Jefferson who played for the Suns, uh, Markel Brown who played with the Nets. And DeAndre Liggins, who was on the Cavs Summer League team. Um, and I believe Corey Jefferson was on the Summer League team as well. So, Trevor, yep. I mean, you just look at that list. To me, I don't really see a guy from what I know of them and what I've gone to research them that I really look at as a guy who's going to make the team and be able to make an impact on this team. Uh, but I also look at a guy like uh, Markel Brown and think, okay, he's young, he's athletic, uh, and maybe they can develop him like McCray, and maybe that's what they think they can get out of these guys. But... Um, before we go kind of we can go guy by guy or just whatever you'd like but uh, did do any of these guys actually stand out as someone you think the Cavs would bother to keep around considering that last roster spot does have some value to them and they did keep it open last year um you know I I you look at you look at all all four of these guys and I don't I don't really see one that jumps off the page at me that definitely um, is someone that the Cavs should keep for the regular season. Um, you know, these guys These guys are going to range from uh, basically like warm bodies um, to play in preseason games to potential guys that the Cavs are going to want to put on the Canton charge um, to, you know, one 15th man that's going to be there kind of in case of emergency. Um, and just look, looking, between, looking between these guys, the one, the one who I think – best fits that 15th that 15th man role 
especially if JR's out, it's it's Markel Brown. Um, you know, he's a he's a very or he's a very talented player, um, a good a good uh, young athletic shooting guard um, has has potential as a um, as a shooter. Um, even though he didn't really shoot that well in Brooklyn over the last two years, he did improve his three-point shooting percentage by five percentage points from year one to year two, up to 31% last year. Um, he's, he's a guy who can score a little bit. He's a guy who's athletic enough to, um, to you know, not not probably not defend well, but at least do some things defensively, um, like make some make some effort plays. Um, he's a pretty good rebounder from the shooting guard position. Um, so these are all, these are all things that I think set him apart a little bit, um, and make it, make him a guy that, you know, should be, um, or could be kind of your break or in case of emergency break glass guy. Um, that's kind of at the end of the bench, like in this training camp, you're not looking for Matthew Delavadova. You're looking for Will Cherry to put this in terms of guys who, came in through training camp and actually made the team for the regular season. You're looking for a guy who's just kind of in case of emergency, basically. And I think Brown helps you the most um, because of JR's situation, and he's flat out the most talented guy of the four. Right, I 100% agree. Um, Liggins, to me, would be the second because I feel like he does some things well uh but Corey Jefferson to me is not a guy I think will be around I just he's at a position the Cavs don't need another guy and I'm I don't really see what there's what Eric Moreland is I know he's had some injuries and stuff but I'm not really high in anything I've seen out of him so I'm not really intrigued by him at all to me it's really Markel Brown and Liggins are the guys uh, our comment section I've heard the sword seems high on Liggins for some reason um, I kind of treat him like he's a roster guy, which whatever. But uh, Brown was a dunk. He's very athletic, as you said. He was a dunker of the year in college. Um, and, I, and I could really see the Cavs trying to develop him like they developed McGray. The problem is they would probably have to keep him on the roster to do that just because they got McGray because he was on the Delaware 87ers in the D-League, and they were able to nab him because they could pay him more. Uh, other team could do that if he's just playing in Canton. Uh, but, I mean, Trevor, do you think there's a value in keeping a 15th guy? Uh, I know they kept the roster open. The roster's wide open last year to save some money. Um, but if, especially if JR isn't there right away, do you think there is value in keeping trying to keep a 15th guy, especially if it is a guy like Markel Braun? Yeah, I, I think I think that the difference between last year and this year is this year there's more uncertainty um, with with some of the older guys, especially in the, in the backcourt. Um, because, you know, as, as we've talked about, so far here, you've got between J.R. Smith's contract situation and whether he's going to be ready to go at the beginning of the season and Mo Williams's knee um, and whether he's going to be able to go at all. Um, it's worth it to keep an extra guy that can potentially be um, be a guy that you can you can rely on for, you know, five, ten minutes if something if it becomes emergent. Um, in your in your backcourt, so um, looking at looking at Brown and Brown and Wiggins, I think I think that those two guys make a lot. Of, both honestly would make sense to me if they decided to keep them, just for that, just from that logic of like we should probably keep an extra backcourt player around, kind of ju- kind of just in case. Um, and I think I think that Brown or Wiggins could be that guy. I mean. Um, and I, and I get why Corey Jefferson and Moreland are here too. They're both they're both bigs. 
um, which is another area where the Cavs, you know, aren't as deep. You got, um, you, you've only got really one guy in Tristan Thompson who can play the traditional five consistently for you. Channing Fry is kind of more of a specialist guy. Um, Birdman Anderson, another guy that we just don't know whether he's going to be ready for the beginning of the season. Um, so, you know, I, it, it makes sense why there's no, like, there's no true wing guy here. Like you've got the, you've got the two kind of true shooting guards and the, uh, the two post players. Um, and I think it's, I think it's for that reason. The Cavs are hoping that one of those four can be kind of an emergency, um, player to be able to come in and step in if it one of their many over 35 bench players is not ready for whatever reason um and then you you know as as opportunities present themselves kind of like what 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 they did last year with joe harris they either move that guy or send him back down or wave him or what have you um but it's it's just kind of an early season contingency plan is what they're looking for i think yeah, now it's worth noting that the Cavs actually don't have a backup power forward on the roster, really, if you think about it, which is kind of nuts. Well, I mean, they've got they've got Mike Dunleavy who can play some four. They've yeah, got, yeah, they've I, got, like they don't have a true back power forward, but they've got like five guys who can play power forward. So I think that's a little yeah. that's a little bit different. No, I mean it is. I I think at least in preseason, I think they probably have Jefferson there to take away some minutes from love so we can rest and not have to play a bunch to me like i think some of these guys are playing those functions just because lebron's not going to play every preseason game uh Kyrie is probably not going to play every preseason game kevin love is not going to play every preseason game they're going to rest those guys and play other people um and i think ligands and those guys have to take advantage of those spots when those guys are resting and making a name for themselves uh, in some way uh, Trevor, before we kind of wrap this up, I keep getting questions uh, on, on to our mailbag, which, by the way, you can submit questions on Twitter at LockdownCavs or to email at LockdownCavs at gmail.com about Seti Ozeman, why he didn't come over and stuff. Uh, we don't really know exactly why he didn't. It seemed like he was. Um, I know, and Of course, Seti Ozeman, if, if you don't know who that is, is the Cavaliers' really prime overseas prospect. He, he's Turkish. Um, he plays overseas. He's... Uh, kind of what Trevor has told me, he is sort of a uh, small forward, uh, Tristan Thompson type. He's not a great shooter yet, but he's young and he's developing. Uh, do you think Osman would have been a better 15th man this year upcoming than, let's say, Brown or Liggins? Oh, of course I, of course I do. Seti Osman is really talented. Um, he's, he's, really, he's really good. Um, he's he's going to be a guy that... You know, on on most teams, if he had come over this year, would probably be, you know, your ninth or tenth man, um, and then in a and then in a couple of years, um, you're you're looking at him probably probably becoming a starter, um, as he as he continues his development. Um, he I think would would fit a little bit of a need, would fit a little bit of a need here just because he is a very talented passer. Um, and I think I think that he would be a guy that would, you know, you you could put in some of those point guardless lineups that I was talking about, um, and be able to operate as a secondary distributor. 
um, for the for the Cavs. Um, that would kind of be what I would assume his projected role would be had he come over. I really think the big reason that he didn't end up come o- coming over was because the opportunity presented itself to get Mike Dunleavy. Um, D- Dunleavy was available. The Cavs were able to pull the trigger on that trade. And that really, I think, took away a roster spot that o- would have gone to Oseman otherwise. Um, I, th- I think that he would have... Uh, he wants to come over and actually play. He doesn't want to spend time in Canton. He doesn't want to be Jordan McRae last year um, where he's not playing that much. He really wants to come over and have a rotation spot. Um, And, you know, once that's, once that spot kind of went away with the Dunweavy trade, he decided to stay for another year. Um, And he, he's going to be a, he's probably going to be a starter this year at uh, Anadolu Ephes. Um, which is the name of his club over in Turkey. They're uh, they're a top flight um, club in in the domestic league and a, a pretty good uh, club inter, in intercontinental uh, competition as well. Um, so getting another season to get some more um, uh, get some more quality playing time, continue to develop particularly as a shooter, um, and you know kind of further his legends, so to speak, um, as a, as a Turkish player, um, cause they love him over there. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. I think that opportunity was real, was really enticing to him rather than being the Cavs 12th man. Um, so I think that, you know, he, he'll come I think he'll come over next year. Um, whether that's with the Cavs or with another team remains to be seen because, you know, we talked about earlier that tr- that trade at the trade deadline. The Cavs need something to need something to give. That, that's exactly Oseman's where perfect, I was headed. Exactly perfect, where I was perfect headed. option because he could end up being a lot like Bogdan Bogdanovich was in the uh, draft day trade between the Sacramento Kings and Phoenix Suns, where you know the Sun tr- talks have totally broken down between him and the Suns. So the Suns moved him at, to uh, the Kings, who. You know he's he's a Serbian player and he has a close relationship that with Vladi Divac because Ser, uh, he's a legend in Serbian basketball. Immediately becomes in, a huge get for the Kings because he's a, he's a guy who wouldn't have come over had he stayed in the Suns' control. Um, and I think that's a situation that potentially Osman can find himself in. You know if if the Cavs do go out and they get another wing, then I don't really see a clear path to Osman getting playing time. So maybe the maybe the best option is to use him as a trade chip um, to send him uh, to send him to a place where he can come over um, in 2017 and actually get some playing time and actually be able to make an impact. Um, so that's that's kind of that's kind of where I see him headed for the near future. I think he's going to be a big player for Ephes this year. And um, I think he is going to come over in 2017, whether that's with the Cavs or another team, I'm about like 50-50 on. Um, it really remains to be seen what they do with the wing spot, um, what that looks like next summer. And I think whether he whether he comes over for the Cavs is entirely dependent on what their, what their playing time at the two and three looks like. Yeah, that this is what I'm going to ask you is, is kind of our last question uh, for this. If you're, the, I'm going to make you David Griffin for the day. Uh, you're scouring the trade market, and let's say you get an offer for a wing. Let's say it's Cavs Twitter's favorite guy, Trevor Ariza. Um, and if there's a, if there, if if you, if there are other guys you think would be worth noting, just say that as well. But 
let's say he says, okay, I will use that trade exception, but you have to give me Osman. Uh, do you pull the trigger on that? Because if it's me, and I'm your assistant GM, I think I'm telling you. I think I'm telling you no. Um, I I, I think it does depend on the guy. Um, I think I think you want to get a, you want to look for a guy who's younger if you're if you're gonna pull the trigger on Osman just because he is like he is the one wild card development piece that you have. Um, so you should probably use that on a guy who you can keep around for a couple of years. Um, I would be what I, I would be less likely to pull the trigger on the Ariza deal just because he is older. Um, but a guy like, uh, a guy like Courtney Lee, um, with the Knicks who just signed, just signed a long-term deal. Um, you know, if things go south there, it's likely that, you know, he's a guy who's going to be on the trade market again. Um, just because, just because he's a valuable guy, um, especially on a winning team, as he's proven in, uh, as he proved in Memphis, um, and pro- and pro- has proved in Charlotte um, last season. He he, like a guy like Courtney Lee, um, who can who can slot in and be like your sixth or seventh man. That's a guy that I'm okay trading Osman for. I don't want a guy who, you know, going into the 2017-2018 season, you know, isn't necessarily going to be a guy that you want to keep around, um, keep around past that past that year. If you can, ha- if you can get two, three quality years of control out, out of a guy that you're trading Osman for, I say, I say, go for it. Um, but I'd be, I'd be less inclined to. Um, go for a lot of the guys who are going to be available that the Cavs will consider. Um, in all honesty, yeah, and I, I, this is my argument about this. Uh, he's a better prospect than K. Felder, and I don't really think it's close. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I think he's the potential is there for him to be so much more. Um, just stretchy, multi-faceted wing players are just infinitely valuable in this version of the NBA. And five nine point guards have a limited ceiling. Um, I like K. Felder from what I've seen. I'm excited by him. And, you know, Isaiah Thomas proved that small guys can do really good things. But uh, I will take a, a multi-skilled wing who can do a bunch and is young over K. Felder 10 out of 10 times if you have to tell me what prospect I have to pick. Um, and I look at how the Cavs are building towards next year. Uh, you don't really know what the JR thing is 100% going to look like. You don't know what Shump's really going to be like. Richard Jefferson could very well retire, although he did sign a two-year deal. Dunleavy could back could be an issue. Seti Osman could really come in next year and be a guy the Cavs can say, okay, we're going to put him in this role, and he could fill it and be younger and be better than what the Cavs have now, and it gives you a chance to start laying the foundation for what Kyrie Irving's Cavs are going to look when LeBron gets older and it starts